the exciting, dangerous world of James Bond has arrived in Los Angeles. The Peterson Automotive Museum invites you to experience the cinematic legacy of over 30 iconic vehicles of James Bond in the new exhibition, Bond in Motion. This new Bond exhibition features the largest official collection of 007 vehicles in the United States, including the 1977 Lotus Esprit S1 submarine and No Time to Die Aston Martin DB5. Plan your visit today at peterson.org backslash bond. That's P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N dot org backslash bond. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 629. All right, we are back with another episode of Ranking the Bonds. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, and I am joined as always by my co-host, Alan J. Porter. Alan, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Van. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm excited because we are up to the fourth Eon James Bond film tonight, 1965's Thunderball. And as you well know, this is one of my absolute favorites. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I I think going through it this time may have made me rethink my feelings around this movie. Ooh, I'm excited to find out. I'm sure all of our listeners now on the edge of their seats <laughs> interested to I'm know. Sure. Well, oh, I'm sure they are. You know, one of, one of the things I thought was really interesting when we did our just general reviews of all 25 movies uh, over the last couple of years or more was that we agreed a lot more of the time than I would have maybe suspected, right? Because with just with anybody, you'd think that there would be some disagreement here and there. But it felt like we kind of saw eye to eye on a lot of it, uh, both the good and the disappointing in some cases. But I feel like this is one that I liked better than you is that right or am i misremembering um yeah i think so i think so generally i know you like this one and generally i've it's always been around middle of my list it's always been my my least favorite connery and it's always been sort of mid list for me wow so um, yes well this is this is um top five for me always top five overall it's my number two Connery, but that's only because my number one is a Connery, obviously. <laughs> but this is but this is between two and five. I'd have to re-rank them all again to figure it out exactly. But this is definitely between two and five for me. I just love almost 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 everything about this movie. There's a there's a certain sequence that nobody really likes anymore. But other than that, I just think this one cracks from start to finish and is just so quintessentially this one is to me what a lot of people think gold goldfinger is to them you know what i mean yeah it's sort of the quintessential um what's the word i'm looking for blueprint of the of the franchise yeah. going forward it's yeah. got it all yeah 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 that's right yeah, so we'll that. we'll get into some of that as we go along here what we do here folks for those of you tuning in for the first time Alan and I have already done our general discussions and reviews almost frame by frame like the Zapruder film <laughs> of the of, of all the bond movies plus ancillary material right yep. and those are all in the uh, the podcast archives you can go back and check those out if you'd like if you haven't listened already or go listen to them again why not um, but now we've started back over again going through with a number of categories and kind of a scale of one to ten. 
And we've already done the first three. This is the fourth one we're going to be doing, Thunderball, where we're going to talk about not just like how we rank various aspects and elements of it, but also kind of uh, naming a few things along the way category-wise. You'll see. You'll It will all make sense to you if you don't already know as we go along. So uh, do you have any preliminary thoughts as we get going here, Alan? Uh, I don't think so. Like I said, going through and sort of going through our however many categories it is, 10, 11 categories, unless you're going to add another one. <laughs> um, I'm always adding new stuff and driving Alan crazy. It's very, it's um, very frustrating uh, too. Just, just focusing on those aspects made me, like I said, made me re- make, potentially rethink my thing, feelings Ooh. overall of the movie. So. I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited about that. All right. Well, uh, last episode, uh, our listener, Michael Beggar, had a great suggestion, which is what was going on in the world around the time the movie came out. And so now, as part of my homework for our shows, I'm, I'm looking into that every episode. So would you like to hear a few things that were going on around the time this movie came out? And you need to say yes, because I didn't do all that work for nothing. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. I am right. interested to see what you come up with. Well, the first thing that occurred to me, of course, I didn't have to do any research for this, is that this movie not only came out the same year as my Vegas heist novel is set, but they go to see Thunderball during my book, right? They actually go see the movie before the big robbery of the casino. So that was pretty cool, all right? Now, this movie came out on, it, they, it premiered December 9th in Tokyo, which is interesting because you'd think it would be You Only Live Twice would be the one they would premiere in Tokyo, but it was a well, big it, deal in Japan, right? This is the one that was like a really big deal in Japan, wasn't it, for the first time maybe or something? Well, I think that they were actually in Japan filming You Only Live, or doing prep work for You Only Live Twice. I think there was some logistical reason why it was in Tokyo. Oh, there we go. Okay. And then it premiered on December 29th in the UK. So that's interesting. This is another December Bond movie, just like I know the one that always, the one that always, because later on they came out in the summer as like tentpole summer blockbusters. But early on, it seems like a number of them actually came out around Christmas. And that's, that just seems weird to me for a James Bond movie to come out in December. Yeah, well, that, that used to be when the big movie releases were was Christmas and then Thanksgiving, but it seems to have sort of drifted into the, the, the summer tentpole. Yeah. At least these days, I, yeah. I think that probably started with Jaws and then Star Wars, and after that it was pretty yeah. solidly, yeah. Um, okay, the Beatles' final UK tour was just concluding in Cardiff when yep. this came out. Okay, I knew you'd know all about that. Uh, the 70-mile-an-hour speed limit was being imposed in the UK when this movie came out. Boo. Which is, which I can say, which is funny <laughs> because... Around this time in the United States, it was going from 70 to 55, and people were losing their minds. So I, 70 seems like a, a dream compared to what was happening here during the during the late 70s. Um, the British... Oh, this this is totally Bond, okay? The British oil platform Sea Gym collapsed in the North Sea, It's and several people were injured. It sounds like the plot to Diamonds Are Forever, maybe. Maybe that was involved in that. I don't know. Or or what was the um, the Roger Moore thing? The Roger uh, Moore folks. North Sea hijack. Yeah, North Sea folks. folks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Did have we ever reviewed those? Did we ever do it, or did we not? I can't even remember. Yeah, now. we did. As I part we did. Of the yeah. Roger Moore episode. Yeah. yeah. We did. I, I thought we did. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I, I remember thinking for so long that we needed to that I couldn't remember if we actually did. Uh, this is about the same time we got the Charlie Brown Christmas, which was the first 
Peanuts television special, and of course that spawns a whole subculture there with a, a huge tradition around Christmas and Halloween with the Great Pumpkin and all that. Uh, on December 15th, Gemini 6 and Gemini 7, rendezvous to North Orbit. Man, this sounds like Dr. No and You Only Live Twice, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the first controlled rendezvous in space. Uh, let's see. On December 17th, this also sounds like it. This, this sounds more like it would be like a Daniel Craig Bond plot. On December 17th, the British government began an oil embargo against Rhodesia, which was later joined by the United States. This, and I, I had a note, this was presumably during their struggle for independence when they became Zimbabwe. Uh, sort of. Or led up to it eventually, part of it. Led up to it eventually. Basically, it's when the white minority government unilaterally declared independence from the. Uh, the British Commonwealth, which was seen as an act of rebellion against the crown. Ah, so, yeah. Um, so, and then How, they were an un- unrecognized nation for several, for a decade or so, and then, then they, became, they became Zimbabwe again. How dare some people declare independence against the British crown? Can you imagine the <laughs> gall of somebody to do that? Good. Yeah. Nothing good could ever come of I, that. I, I don't know who gave the rest of the world that idea. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, this is interesting. About this time... Tokyo officially became the largest city in the world, surpassing New York City. Now, yeah, Tokyo Tokyo didn't surprise me. What surprised me was that New York City had been number one just before it. I never would have guessed because Mexico City, Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro. I mean, there's a number of cities I would have thought were bigger than New York City. That, you know, But anyway. Um, the U.S. committed ground forces to Vietnam during this year. Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, was born. Malcolm X was killed. E.E. Doc Smith, the Lensman creator, died. And finally, here in St. Louis, where I live, the area, the Gateway Arch was completed, which is also in Vegas Heist, my novel. So there you go. A lot of of my novel popping up. Um, And one other note, and I think we've talked about this before, Thunderball remains the most financially successful Bond film in North American history when adjusted for inflation. And I noted... In terms of like a serious remake, it's the only Bond film to have actually been remade as Never Say Never Again. I know there's Casino Royale, but that was a different thing. So in terms of doing like a serious Bond action movie, this is the only one to have been made twice. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So there we go. Um, so are we you ready missed, to get into it? You missed one of the most important things of the, of the year. Fired up. Mary Quant introduced the miniskirt. In 1965, ah, you know, has shot the bazaar on the King's Road in Chelsea, in London. So, um, it was the year of the birth of the miniskirt. So, the miniskirt. There we so, go. There can't, we go. Got, yeah. Can't, 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 uh, can't. It really was the start of the height of uh, swinging London and yeah, the fashion oh, yeah. King's Road and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Which always reminds me, at some point, do we need to do the Austin Powers movies? Probably. Yes. We. I think we need to. They just yeah. did a. They just did Austin Powers one on the rewatchables, and I enjoyed that. So I thought, you know, Alan and I need to do the whole. Need to do all three of them. So we'll we'll put that on the list. Okay, good Along deal. With all that myriad of other things that we keep saying. We'll yes, <laughs> <laughs> but that's good. I'm glad we've got more things to do rather than fewer. All right, you ready to get into the rankings a little bit? Yeah, let's let's talk about Thunderball. Yeah. All right. So first up, at least on my. Uh, uh, notes here is the plot and story. So we talk about like a number between one and 10 and then kind of your thoughts about it. So do you want to? Yeah. So 
like I say, uh, I normally do this in sort of plot and story in two parts. One, how close is it to Fleming? And yep. then two, what's the plausibility of it? So how close is it to Fleming? Well, it's very close to Fleming because basically Fleming ripped off the screenplay to his novel. So, and obviously there's a whole podcast book, whatever, that we could That we have done. Back. Well, we talked about it on the previous show, which I think was like three years ago. But if you, if you want to dig back into that... Um, but yeah, so it's very close to, to the Fleming novel with some changes. Uh, actually, Never Say Never, which you just touched, talked about, is actually closer to the original screenplay mm. than this one. Um, but uh, yeah, it is fairly close to the Fleming one. Um, so I'll give it sort of, I don't know, four out of ten for that, five out of ten for that. Mm, um, okay. And then how plausible is it? Well, the idea of holding a government to ransom over stolen nuclear weapons is really a very well-worn thriller trope. Now, I don't know if this was the first one, if it was, everybody else has ripped it off or whether they were just playing with something that was in sort of the, the cultural mm. creative uh, area at the time. Um, so I don't know if it's the first. But to be honest, the details of them doing it are a little far-fetched, particularly the the actual theft. Um, but it does provide for some pretty spectacular visuals along the way, which we'll probably talk about. Um, so I think overall I gave it a 6 out of 10 for the, the plot and the story. Sort of a, a 4 for the Fleming ripoff and adaptation uh stuff and then a two for the actual plausibility side of hmm. it interesting i think maybe we're getting to the, to the beginnings of our disagreement over it um i gave the plot and story of this one a nine because okay. to me it's the sweet spot there are some bond movies that are smaller Right, it's just him kind of running around doing stuff and fighting a guy with a pistol and stuff like that. And there are some Bond movies that, like The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, and you know, which are just a grandiose. He might as well be Superman saving the whole world. This one is kind of right there in the middle, where he's having to do something fairly big, you know, stop nuclear explosions conceivably, but it's not like there's some. You know, like in those two movies where it's gonna, they're out to destroy the whole world. This is just a good old blackmail extortion type thing. And it's just basically a step up from Dr. No in a way. And I just think it's perfect. For me, this is like, this is the spot I aim for with Bond, I think, is where he's having to do a lot of sneaky spy stuff, but there's still a bigger thing out there, just not super big, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I, really I get like that. It. I think I heard somebody call, refer to, Thunderbolt the other, the other day as Goldfinger with a bigger budget. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and and, in, in and terms of both the plot and the you know both yeah. the making of the movie, but also in the plot. Right. You know, it, it's taking the idea and sort of ramping it up a level. So I yeah, I get fair. that. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, I would say this. I agree with that, and I would say and when it does some of the th uh, some of the Goldfinger things, I like the way that they're done in this movie better than I like the way they're done in Goldfinger. That's okay. one of the reasons I like this movie a lot more than Goldfinger. I appreciate a lot of the things in Goldfinger. I just think that a lot of the things in Goldfinger are done better in this movie. And in fact, I would say that probably the one thing missing from Thunderball that might have really put it over the top for me is it doesn't have an odd job. It's, it's kind of got a Goldfinger, but it doesn't really have an odd job. Right. I was actually just looking back. I actually did score it slightly higher than I scored Goldfinger plus the plot no, story okay. of Goldfinger last, last episode. So, yeah, okay. yeah I, I take your point. I, I can okay. say, f for me, it's it's the last lack, lack of plausibility of the main plot, the, of the main, the MacGuffin 
thing that drives the plot hmm. that sort of pulls it back for me. Okay. Yeah, I didn't really have any problem with that. Certainly not in a James Bond movie. Um, but I get you. All right. I have next, and just to make sure our, our, our um, notes match up, I have unanswered questions. Are you prepared for unanswered questions? Go on, then. What are your unanswered questions? I have several unanswered questions from this movie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my first unanswered question is, why did they think that 25 minutes <laughs> of underwater swimming around was a good idea <laughs> after such a great movie leading up to it? Why would – if they could I, – see, I want to go in and do a cut of this movie that's about 12 minutes shorter. And I just think that would be perfect. It's kind of like Star Trek The Motion Picture. I want to cut about 12 minutes of V'ger out of this movie. You know what I mean? And and I think it would be perfect. It might be my favorite Bond movie over You Only Live Twice if I could just go in and do a fan edit that just kind of cuts out about 12 minutes of underwater stuff that's that's slower. And if, if they had had a... If they'd had an odd job level henchman that Bond could have been fighting with during those minutes instead of just the swimming around stuff, I think it would be a, a Grand Slam home run 10 out of 10. I agree with you. That's one of the things that drags this movie down for me. No pun intended. <laughs> um, but I think we you have to sort of go back to when it was filmed. Nobody had done underwater filming like this right. before. That's right. And it was really, and that was actually Kevin McClory, one of Kevin McClory's things was building the story around Fleming's love of the underwater and right. swimming and snorkeling and stuff and really pushing that technique of how to do those great underwater scenes that we sort of tend to take for granted now when we see exactly underwater things. So, um, and I'll tell you what, I was lucky enough to see Thunderball on the big screen a few years back on the, when it was the anniversary I think it was 50th anniversary year. Um, so that would be... 15. 2015 or whatever, yeah. Um, and it was... Wa- watching it on the big screen made me appreciate those scenes way more, even though I watched them on my TV big screen. is not the same as the right. movie big screen. Um, so it made me appreciate those more. Um, so as to why, I think that's why we got mm. so much of it. It's because it was new. It was new technology. Nobody had ever done it before. You know, it's like the... you know. The ten-minute panoramas that you got in the in the westerns when Panavision came in, you know, it's like yeah. we're we're doing something new. We're going to show off the technology and we're going to build it into the story. So, um, yes, plot-wise, I think it could have been trimmed, but I think the why is because we can do it and we figured that, it out. I, I had a note that I said I had a note in here somewhere that I said I think it's probably that it was new and it seemed like revolutionary and so they felt like they needed to show a lot of it so I, that yeah. didn't surprise me. Yeah. And I was going to say that's the same I totally know what you mean. It, it's hard to visualize it's hard to imagine what you're saying unless you've experienced it because I went and saw 2001 a Space Odyssey on the anniversary uh, at a big a 70 millimeter print in Champaign-Urbana. Right. And yeah, it makes a difference. It really, that's the same does, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. A couple of other unanswered questions. How did Largo lose an eye? We don't know. I like How'd to you think. Know he's lost an eye? How do you know he even lost an eye? Maybe it's just an affectation. <laughs> I, I like to think it was a flirkin, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, that may just be uh, Nick Fury. Um, okay. This one killed me. Bond and Count Lippy know each other are at Shrublands and they openly keep trying to kill each other and at least once each 
and then otherwise they just kind of leave each other alone and hang out together. I just thought that was so funny how like when they have a chance they try to kill each other and then otherwise they're just like yeah it's all good we're just hanging out yeah good morning uh, yeah <laughs> of course yeah I know yeah the whole cat lippy thing um, maybe we'll get to it when we talk about henchmen and stuff that, that never made sense to me no it's great no. but that doesn't well that's true about so many of the early bonds though stuff that's great but doesn't make a lot of sense um, when when the Vulcan bomber goes in the water we understand that. This is the old trope of the henchman demands more money at the last minute, so he has to die. This is obvious, right? That always right. happens. If the henchman wants more money, he's going to die. How is it that they knew the seatbelt wasn't going to let him out? Yeah. You know? That's, yeah. What that kills him convenient. is that the... Yeah, what yeah. kills him is not the guy coming to kill him. It's the seatbelt. Yeah. Yeah, it was very convenient that they super glued, somebody super glued the yeah. seatbelt yeah. together. Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. Okay. Um, when uh, Fiona Volpe shoots the missiles out of her motorcycle to take out who I thought was Count Lippy, but it, we see him later, yeah. so I guess it was somebody no, else. It is, no, it was Count Lippy. Well, but don't we see Count Lippy a bit later? No. I could have sworn we see him later. No, she blows up Count Lippy's car. Okay. Well, she then ditches her own motorcycle. I don't know why, and I guess walks back? I guess so. Seems or a per- waste of a perfectly good BSA motorcycle to me. Do you but, guys yeah. not have that motorcycle, by the way? What? No. Ian Fleming Foundation? No. No. no I have no idea where it is. We do okay. have the Vulcan bomber that lands on the water. I know you do. I mean, I'm well aware. you've seen it. <laughs> yes, I have. I've been close to it. But you don't have I was just wondering. It just when I was watching, I'm like, I wonder if, if Alan and them have got that motorcycle with the missile. I don't know. Motors. Maybe it may still be sitting in the bottom of a pond and <laughs> underneath what uh, Silverstone racetrack. I don't That's know. That's right. Um, okay. I've got to, Now I'm going to have to go back and watch that little part again because I could have sworn that later when they go to a hotel or something, no, that's Count Lippy's there. Okay, um, so the other, the, my last, my last unanswered question: What did Felix and Domino do together when Bond left them to go find out what happened to his assistant? Uh, what was her name? Paula. Paula. Yeah. So he he has to go find out what happened to Paula, and he tells Felix. Um, Felix comes up and says she's checked out of the hotel. Bond says, "Look after Domino," and he he then goes to Palmyra after having the power cut. So I'm like, what have Felix and Domino been doing all that time? I mean, it, yeah, that, to me, it's how long did that take? Yeah. Because all the things that Bond did, he went to Palmyra, did all the stuff there, escaped, got back, went to the hotel, found Fiona there, had sex with Fiona, mm-hmm. got captured, mm-hmm. got shot, all the dance routine. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I guess they were just enjoying the junk canoe and... <laughs> Having a few drinks, I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Felix is up there going, I definitely got the better end of this deal, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, this is... That, this but is, yeah, the, the time frame of that has always bugged me. It's yes. Like, Bond must have been away for hours. Oh, you yeah. Know? I'm, I'm yeah. thinking this is when Felix decided the CIA life was the life for him because Bond does all the hard stuff and he gets to hang out with Domino. That's that's a pretty sweet Yeah, but deal. how long does a junk canoe... Because if Bond was gone for like several hours, how long does that parade last? It was still going strong. Yeah, it was still going strong, yeah. Yeah, it must yeah. be going around the block a few <laughs> times. Yeah. It's like so. the t- tenth time around the block. He's not back yet. Keep going. <laughs> keep, keep going. going. Keep playing it. Yeah, that's right. All right, those are my unanswered questions. Did you have any, or are we good? My whole thing was the... Oh, no, I'll come to it when we... I think it... it I'm just going to double-check that. I 
because it was something I was going to talk about as my what then moment, but maybe I didn't. Um, okay, yeah, no, I'm going to talk about it now. Okay. The whole Angelo, you, you referred to, sort of referred to it, the, the henchman who wants more money, the whole Angelo double thing makes no sense to me whatsoever, particularly when they introduce the fact that, you know, Angelo's being made up to look like Major Derval, right? Mm-hmm. And he comes in the room and he says, you know, I've been studying this for three years and I've gone through all this surgery and I know, you know, I'm now this guy and I want more money. And then he makes two very simple mistakes walking out the door. And it's like, if he's been studying this for three years, he'd, he'd know what the guy, phrase the guy used when he was leaving the room. And he'd know how he wore his, his cap. You know? Yep. Yeah, it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> he's not like, selling his, he's not making a good case for himself there. For himself. He's not. Uh, and I think it worked way better in the book and in Never Say Never, where basically they made the guy into a drug addict and that's how they got him rather than this whole body double plastic surgery thing just i don't know doesn't yeah for me didn't work yeah didn't make any sense yeah yeah and that was like i think that was the most affecting part of never say never again was the whole uh what was her name carrera that yeah uh, yeah barbara carrera is barbara carrera with 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 the with the with that guy yeah that was pretty intense stuff okay locations so we have paris one street in paris you can yep. tell it's Paris because you can see the Eiffel Tower. There you go. Um, which is a Spectre HQ. So I, I love that because there's two things. I love the fact, and it's a very quick scene, but I love mm. the fact that um, Largo just dumps his car in the middle of the, st- <laughs> middle of the street <laughs> and the policeman goes to tell him off until he sees him. Oh, you, you missed Largo. Okay, you know, you're, you're, you're a rich, famous, you know, guy who runs this charity so you can dump your car wherever you like park wherever you like please and it's like about a meter away from the sidewalk yeah um and then as he's walking across the street he doesn't even look and there's a car coming and he he never breaks step or anything like that and the car has to sort of drive around him it's just a great character moment um but that's not really a location that's that's sort of just a really um so we got shrublands um we got the silverstone racetrack which is where the, the the motorcycle um blowing up the car and the db5 chase was filmed was at silverstone awesome um but really most of it is the bahamas isn't it yes um, nearly all of it's the bahamas and yes. uh, i actually think this is probably the bond vacation movie in the bahamas um i think that location sort of the whole movie i think it's got a very laid back sort of vacation i know they're doing something very time intensive but it still feels a very laid back movie yeah. And I think the Bahamas location really adds to that. So um, I, th- I think, again, it's one of those where the, the location suits suits the story rather than the story being shoehorned into the location, if that makes sense, um, like we said some of the later ones do. So right. for me, this was a 7 out of 10 in, in terms of location, mainly because of the, the Bahamas. I gave it a 7 as well. And my note is if you're only going to be in basically one location for most of a Bond movie, it might as well be in the Caribbean because that's kind of his second home. Yeah. And yeah. that makes sense. So I agree with you. I did think that um, because, yeah, the other area, I mean, the other, it's really funny. The other location, you mentioned a couple of brief things. They are very brief. But the other location that gets any time at all is just inside the health club, which could right, be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so and it's clearly a set. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and clearly so. a set. So this really was, I mean, as expensive as this movie was, it looks like they put all the money into the underwater stuff and the ship and all and kind of paid for it by just having him on a on a stay on a set for the interior for the first half of the movie. 
yeah, before he gets to yeah. the Bahamas. Yeah. yeah, and you couldn't do that today. Uh, if if they did a if they did a script of of a Thunderball type movie today, he'd have to go to two or three exotic locations along the way, and they'd have a reason why he had to suddenly go to Havana yeah. or Tokyo, you know, or whatever, and then end up in the Bahamas yeah. finally. Yeah, and a good example of that would be like Moonraker, where it really is about outer space, and yet you have the stuff in Brazil, you have the stuff in what Rome or wherever, Venice, 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 Venice yeah. yeah, which yeah. none of it has to be there, but it's to get into these exotic places before they go right. So yeah, yeah, or opening a movie in Mexico because they're going to give you a big tax break and you create a big title <laughs> sequence in Mexico. Yeah, how about yeah. that? All right, so we both agree on seven for locations. That's interesting. And it is interesting, by the way, that it's that high, considering, again, you get really one exotic yeah. location out of the whole movie. But it does suit. It yeah, it's a good one. plays with the story. Yeah. 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 All right, the main villains. So for me, we got two distinctly different villains. We have Largo. Yep. And Fiona Volpe. Okay. one of the villains. I guess she's basically the. Is it she kind of the odd job of this movie, or in a way? Well, that, she's the henchman, but actually, in some ways, she's more Largo superior because she's the one mm. who talks down to him and orders him around to some extent. But but he's number two. I don't understand. I know, but she's she also seems the more dominant character. Yeah. You know who she reminded me of, by the way? I wanted to, I'm glad I, I didn't write this down, but I was wanting to say this to you, and I almost forgot. You know who reminds me of her is Famke Jansen in GoldenEye. Yeah, yeah. They're very similar, I think. Yeah, she was definitely... Fiona Volpe, I think, is... Well, I'll get back to her in a second. So let's, let's start with Largo. So okay. Largo, Adolfo Celli, I think, has... He has the iconic looks. Obviously, you know, they, they used it for us talking about Austin Powers, number two, with a... Right. With the eye patch, he has that iconic look, but I don't know. He's more for me the the sort of outline of a Bond villain. He's not. He's two dimensional. He doesn't really come across, particularly when you've gone from Goldfinger to this. He doesn't yeah. doesn't sort of exude that sort of menace. Um, and here, unlike Goldfinger, I think the dubbing is fairly obvious. Um, yeah. it's, it, and it's not as seamless. And I think it detracts from the, from the performance. So I I sort of gave him a um, a three. Uh, Fiona Volpe for me. I think she's the best femme fatale in the whole series. Mm. She's cruel. She's threatening. She's sexy. Mm -hmm. She's dominant. Um, she, you know, she knows her own mind. She knows what she wants. Um, she orders everybody around. Um, I, I would have given her a ten out of ten if it was just her. So if we're putting the two together, I'd probably make it a seven for the villains overall, which is more Largo pulling Volpe's score down. <laughs> so, she... so I gave him a, I gave him a seven. I gave him a combined score of seven. That makes sense. Um, what I like about her, aside from the obvious, is her range. Because yeah. one minute she can be like a sex kitten, and then yeah. the next she's a dominating, you know, evil boss. And she can kind of just switch among those different, you know, and she does, and she keeps kind of rotating among them as we go along. You know, one right. minute she's, she's dancing with Bond, next she's going to kill him. You know, one minute she's in the tub, the next, you know, and, and reacting to his handing her the shoes, which is, I think, one of the greatest moments in the entire series. Uh, there's just, there's so many moments where she kind of is in a position of disadvantage, and then she kind of plays up her feminine, you know, whatever, and then turns around and she's the boss and she's in charge and she's throwing her weight around and she's able to just effortlessly switch between and among those roles. Yeah, and she, she does whatever's needed for that particular moment to 
to get that end result that she wants and she plays whatever part is required yes. to do that and yeah, yeah i think she, she she's re- really really yeah i think she's really good um like i said the, for me clearly the best of the the female villains in this in the whole series i'm gonna give the villains an eight because i agree with you but i'm gonna throw in one more point because of that awesome specter meeting where we see number one yes. or kind of see him and we get that great ken adam it has to be a ken adam set of the of the specter lair with the lamps and the microphones and the chairs and the and it's like it's like number one is partially behind a garage door <laughs> i can't ever figure out what he's doing there but it works you know and um, I still, every time I, I know that's not him, and I know it's not him physically or verbally, but it always makes me think of Max von Sydow. Yeah. So when he played him in Never Say Never Again, right? Didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah. 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 That it's to sort of me fit, was yeah. That to me was perfect. I I think he's the iconic voice and look for a Blofeld, even more than Donald Pleasance. I think is is is, is Max von Sydow. Um. Okay. So I gave him an eight. I gave them an eight. And I agree, he doesn't do a lot, but he really does look and sound great. And we we talked about how he also plays around this same time. He also plays uh, Ferrari in the Grand Prix movie, and he was <laughs> he was he probably does, better yeah. than that without the eye patch. Without the eye patch, right? Yeah, they did not have a horrible industrial accident in the Ferrari plant that put his eye out. So we know that's not what happened to Largo. And uh, two years later, he played the bad guy in the Neil Connery, OK Connery oh, yeah. uh, movie. <laughs> Oh, Which basically just played the Lago character again. Yeah, so. not a good move. Not a good move. All right. <laughs> How about the supporting villains, the henchmen? What did we have in this one? We had... Uh, um, well, this is where I put the Spectre meeting was in. Oh, oh okay. So, All right. So I did cool. like... I have in my note a special shout out to Spectre in general. Great to see Blofeld. Um, it was played by Anthony Dawson, voiced by Eric Pullman. Great, mm. And the lineup of the Spectre agents all reporting on the nefarious deeds and stuff I thought was, was really cool. Absolutely. Um, um, but otherwise, we got the aforementioned useless Count Lippy, um, <laughs> who almost gives the game away. He does. Um, you know, um, we got Vargas. Just what does Vargas do? He does not That's, drink. He does not is that, is, what, what does he do? That's the great unanswered question, surely. What does Vargas do? I Well, I think we know, but... <laughs> is that not the origin of that? We I think we talked about this in the review. The Adam Ant song, "You Don't Drink, Don't Smoke." What do you do? You don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? Da, 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 da. That's got yeah. to be where that came from. It's too Probably. big of a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always think yeah. of it. Um, I mean, you've got Vargas's forgettable partner. I can't even remember his name. The little guy. Um, yeah, who knows? And then we got the Quist, is the guy who gets um, caught and then thrown to the sharks. So, yeah. I don't know. You know, if they had a point each and a couple of points for the Spectre meeting, maybe five out of ten. Yeah, I just said not particularly memorable and gave them a four. Um, right. But I gave, I shifted my point to the main villains just because it was number one. So we're if we're similar in thought there. I thought that Vargas always reminds me of the guy in For Your Eyes Only. There's a villain that wears glasses in For Your Eyes. Didn't he the one that runs over the girl in the in the dune buggy? Yeah. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, good grief. Yeah, I mean, there's like they're clones Lock. or something. Huh? Luck. Yeah, I think I think yeah. that's right. And and, yeah. and they, sit, they they just remind me of each other. Yeah. I mean, I suppose he is sort of the, in, well, the, is he the first 
could say Red Grant was the first of the the, the blonde sort of psychotic killers, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I, I guess they were trying to build some mystery. I mean, clearly the thing he like enjoys doing is torturing and killing people, but right. Um, yeah. I don't know. It just didn't quite work this time yeah. around. Yeah, no, I agree. So four. All right, this is going to be interesting. Um, this, I have very mixed feelings about this. The Bond girls in this movie, and this is one of those where we have Bond girls that are both good and bad, and the one that's good is like the mistress of the main villain. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot going on with our two main Bond girls in this movie, and that's not even counting... Uh, Bond's helper girl, which I never can remember her name. You said it a minute ago. Paula. Paula. And that's not even counting the blonde uh, masseuse at Shrublands, who I think is awesome. She's really cute and funny. Molly. And- uh, Pat Fearing. See, I counted. I didn't count. I didn't count Fiona Volpe as one of the Bond girls because. Oh, of but she's her. but she's totally a Bond. She's like she's like uh, Famke Jensen, right? She's got to be. Yeah, yeah. She's bad. Yeah. She's got to be. Yeah, but she's also a villain, so. Yeah, no. I know. I agree. I know. Yeah, I'm I'm including her in both categories, basically. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't. So okay. Didn't, but, uh, so what do you think then? So I've got Pat Fearing, um, played by Molly Peters, um, who for some reason they dubbed, and I don't know why, because she has a beautiful voice. That's um, the masseuse. Yeah, um, huh. the English actors. They dubbed everybody they back then. That's so weird. Well, they did everybody back then. Yeah, um, you know, um, conflicted about her because there's always the, and we'll probably talk about what, what didn't age well, but there's always the thing about you know him coercing her into having sex with him <laughs> over you know losing her job, um, but then she clearly consents to later activities, and then when he's mm-hmm. leaving, she's all over him saying, any place, any time. So Another she's obviously place. not traumatized by it. Another so time. I don't know, I'm a little conflicted around that one. I but agree. She, I, I like Molly Peters in, in other things she's been in. Um, and uh, so, you know, I always thought she was a a, a, a nice-looking lady. Um, then we got Paula, played by Martine Beswick, making a return after From Russia With Love. Yeah. Um, she was one of the gypsy girls. She um, was, that's right. Yeah, so uh, she's good. I think she's a wasted character. I would have liked to have seen more of her character. Um, mm. um, she was also horribly treated. I don't. The thing that always gets me um, when Bond is meets up with Lighter in the streets of NASA and they walk into the secret headquarters and he introduces his pinder my our man in NASA and Paula stood right next to him and he never introduces her, never says her name, and then like about you, you just hear very faintly about 10 seconds later and he's like oh and this is Paula and I was like ah um, <laughs> but uh, you know she was clearly a strong character you know if she's strong enough to uh, take cyanide to mm-hmm. avoid being captured and stuff I wanted more of her backstory I wanted to know more about her mm-hmm. um, so I think she was a little wasted as a character and then we have Domino who yes looks absolutely gorgeous um, voiced as usual by Nikki Vandersil who voiced all the Bond girls at that stage yep. Um, she looks wonderful, but I don't really take to her as a rounded character. I yeah. see her more as set dressing. Yeah. Um, horrible thing to say about somebody, but I don't. She just doesn't really sell me on the relationship with her brother or with Largo or even with Bond. So no, I agree. But I think for me, it still works just because I didn't need her to be more than she was. I think it. Right. She does just enough and looks good while doing it. She looks very good while doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I gave them all, I gave them a sort of combined score of five out of ten because I didn't put Fiona in. There right. Because. No, understood, and that makes sense. Um, the the 
I think I, I always forget this, but I think my favorite moment with the blonde masseuse—I can't remember her name, and I'm not going to try—is uh, after Bond goes to all those lengths to try to seduce her. When the when he turns on the fire alarm and people are running out in the hall, he just automatically starts putting the moves on the girl in the pink nighty. Yeah, just the nearest woman. Yeah, it's just it's just what he does, right? He can't help it. And yeah. and she's walks up and she's like, "Are you not?" tired enough or whatever after your other exercise or whatever yeah. it's just like she's already jealous that's so funny i just i have no sympathy for her in a way but i feel bad in a way too because but that's that's bond i mean what do you, of course he's just he's he's like the sharks in largo's tank he's just gonna go for whatever meat drops in the water near him he doesn't <laughs> have any thought to is that gonna hurt her feelings or anything yeah. he's just that's just what he does so yeah Oh, that's great. So yeah, my my, I I I had a note here, gorgeous but not particularly memorable, and I think that sums up Domino pretty well. I, I think if I do include um, Fiona Volpe as a Bond girl, and I think there's no doubt she's Bond girl, then um, I'm gonna I'm gonna she is memorable, and so I'm gonna go eight. And this is okay. another way that this movie rates very highly with me is that it it find this movie again it finds ways to um, to get higher scores than you might think it would with me, and that's why I keep surprising myself with it. All right, Bond allies. So really, there's Felix and Gypsy Girl, I guess. Paula, bye. Yeah, Paula. I'm never <laughs> Paula. Uh, I just type. Hold on, let me. Paula, there. <laughs> There, I've got it uh, typed on the screen now. I'll never have to ask you again. But but I talked about it in the Bond Girl. So for me, it was it was Felix, um, Rip Van Natter. Um, I've heard reviews where people and people oh, talk about him being goofy in this movie. I don't see that. No, not at all. Thought he's fine. Um, I think he's actually very effective. I think he's a really good Felix. Um, I do too. He's pretty much a constant presence. He's the closest physically to. Felix, as Fleming describes him, straw-haired, Texan, athletic, um, even though he was from California, not from Texas. Rick Van Nuttis from California, um, and he isn't a Texan, but I think he's the closest to Fleming's description of Felix. Um, and he um, does, you know, he flies helicopters. He's the one who works out the math about how far the Disco Volante goes. He knows the type of sharks. He knows where, the, you know, he... he can obviously keep Domino entertained for hours on end. Yeah, clearly. Uh, <laughs> got clearly. something going for him. So, no, I think he's a great Felix Leiter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we we did forget one other, other ally, Q. Oh, yeah. I just, Q that's actually, one of the... That's one of the best reactions when Q comes in and Bond is like, oh, great, or something like that. You can yeah, just see yeah, he's yeah. just like rolling his eyes like, ah, oh, here we go, here we go. Yeah. And then Q's like, well, I don't don't like equipping you guys in the field, even though it means he actually gets a free trip to the Bahamas. Right. Um, so, and he does it yeah. several times in the series, right. too. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess this yeah. is the first time, maybe. So for those together, I, I sort of rank them as uh, 8 out of 10, mainly for Felix, because I think it was a really good, really good Felix, so... You've taught me into raising mine a point. I had it a six. I'm going to go seven. I'm going to go okay. seven if we, because I even think about Paula kind of being an ally. Felix is good. I do like. I, I agree with you that he was a good Felix. And um, and yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and go seven there. I think that was that was better than I kind of thought. So that's cool. All right. Here we go. Here's one that always tickles our fancy vehicles. Now this movie's got a got a, got some vehicles. Not as many as some, but it's got some memorable ones. Well, obviously, it clearly starts with the BB-5. 
Yep. Um, it literally starts with a DB5. DB5. Although all, all it does is sit there and squirt water. It clearly, I mean, it doesn't even move because you couldn't. They actually had to put water tanks right. underneath it. Well, it shows up again later, though. Yeah, true. Yeah, but he's just driving around in it. But he uh, he yeah. he reaches for the buttons, my friend. He's he gonna <laughs> he's gonna. I'm like that was made me so mad. I'm like, dang it, Fiona. We were about to see the car yeah. do something, and you and we have the rocket it. firing BSA motorcycle that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. By the way, there's there's a great thing on YouTube. I think it's still there. Shows you how times have changed. But there was a Ford promotional movie filmed behind the scenes of them doing that whole sequence. Oh yeah. Where a guy basically takes a young kid along to watch them filming it, and it's called "How to Blow Up a Motor Car" or something like that. Yeah. It's a Ford promotional movie of them filming that sequence, and the kid playing around with explosives. But it's a uh, it's a really interesting behind the scenes look of them filming that sequence at Silverstone of the motorcycle blowing up the car. And they're using a Rolls, if I remember rightly, a Rolls Royce with a camera mounted on it, the camera chase car and stuff. Um, I think it's still, it's on YouTube. So, yeah, just, okay. you, I think if you go on YouTube and search for um, how to blow up a motor car Ford promo film, um, you, you might find it. Um, it's, a, it's a good fun 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. Anyway, um, so, yeah, we have the rocket firing BSA motorcycle. We have Fiona's Ford Mustang. Mm-hmm. Very cool car. We have the aforementioned Falcon Bomber. Yep, um, and then of course we have the Disco Volante. Yep, so, there's a helicopter uh, too, but it's not particularly notable. Yeah, there's it usually a helicopter, yeah. um, and then of course we have the dive sleds as well. I was so, gonna say there's all the underwater stuff that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's yeah really neat. Yeah. yeah. So I, I all combined, I gave it a ten. I mean, I think the star of the show was the Disco Volante. Um, some, you know, that was a combination of again from the novel some of the stuff that which actually came out of Fleming's wartime experience and stuff with the, having the hatches underneath and the divers and stuff coming going out the bottom of the boat and submarines going in and out the bottom of the boat. That was a real thing from the war. The Italian Navy had those, apparently. Um, ships with hatches underneath for mini-subs to drop out of and things. Mm. Um, and then, I, you know, I, I clearly remember the first time I saw, saw this movie and the Disco Volante split in two, and it was like, whoa, that's so cool. So, um, yeah, for me... Um, putting them all together, I think I gave them an eight out of ten. Um, I um, think I've seen something where they talked about how they built the boat to do that, and it was quite a process they had to go through to, to construct the Disco Volante. Well, the, the first front half was, uh, I think, a commercially available yeah. hydrofoil, and then they built the cocoon. Mm-hmm. Did they ever tell you the story of what happened to the cocoon? I don't remember. After the movie, um, it's it's one of the the, the great lost. Um, bond vehicles um, after the movie it ended up in Florida as a basically a bar <laughs> the bar. Uh, a floating bar on the swamps in Florida and over the years with the heat and the humidity and stuff um, when it, it was found and tried to be moved it just basically boom, collapsed in on itself but uh, hmm. uh, but we do have in the in the Inflaming Fire Nation archives a picture of somebody actually stood by um, on the docks in, in Florida stood next to the front half, the hydrofoil part of the Disco Volante, which is parked up, um, but then it sort of disappeared again. So that it's one of the, the great where 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 is it gone thing is that where the Disco Volante is. Yeah, the the so, boat, yeah. the hydrofoil part, the, the front part, the hydrofoil part. Yeah, and we decided that means flying saucer, right? It means flying saucer. Yeah, that's yeah. so funny. That's about the limit of my Italian, but yes, I mean yeah. flying saucer. <laughs> and uh, ciao. 
Yeah. <laughs> Disco Volante and Chow. That's what we know from this movie. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it a nine. for the, the vehicle's a nine for all the reasons that you mentioned. I'm not counting the jetpack as a vehicle. It's a gadget. No, that's so a gadget, yeah. If yeah. it was a vehicle, this would be a ten. Mm-hmm. But it's a nine. I love all the little underwater things. When I was a kid and saw it, I thought they were amazing. I love the Disco Volante. I'm 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 sad that the Aston Martin doesn't get to do more than shoot water hoses. Um, must have quite the water tanks hidden under that car. But um, I'm glad it doesn't crash into a wall randomly in this movie <laughs> like it did in the last one. That's a victory right there. Yeah. And how did he get it back? It must be a different <laughs> one, right? I don't. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's the same registration. How did he get it back anyway? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but oh. I just want to go way back to the beginning because you just reminded me of something. So in the Spectre meeting, Blofeld says our agent, Colonel Duval, was killed by an unknown assassin. Hang on a minute. He was killed by a guy who got away with a jetpack and put it in the trunk of a silver Aston Martin DB5. <laughs> who do you think that could be? <laughs> an unknown assassin. Really? I think you need to update your, your paperwork. Then. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, and his initials were JB. Also, <laughs> we 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 don't really know who that could possibly be. We're leaning heavily on Jerome <laughs> Bettis, the football player for Notre Dame. That's probably who it was, Alan. I'm thinking that's probably who yeah. it was. Yeah, that is. I hadn't thought about that, but I did. I do remember when they said unknown assassin. I kind of went, huh? But I hadn't thought it through like you did. That's really good. So. Well, speaking of gadgets, we are up to gadgets now. So how do you rate the gadgets in this one? There's not a lot, but eh, there's some good ones. Well, there's the, the jetpack. Yep. Which was awesome. Continues to be awesome. Love seeing all the the continuing development of the various jetpacks that we've particularly in the last few years, um, people actually making practical ones. So that was cool. I mean, I know it was very impractical as, a, as an actual, um, you know, piece of equipment because I think it had like a 30 second flight and the, the Air Force and Army wouldn't use it because there was no fail safe basically if anything stopped working you just fell to your death yeah um, so the you know the Army wouldn't uh, and forces wouldn't use it um, and then again we saw it in was it the LA Olympics the guy came in yes and used it? yeah 84 yeah yeah um, so we had that the Geiger counters um, which mysteriously transferred transformed from a watch to a camera I never quite figured that out because yeah. when Bond had the Geiger counter, it was a watch, but when he gave it to Domino, it was a camera. Yeah, um, because the camera was, was filming bursts of seven pictures or something, right? And then yeah. it was the other camera that was, but yeah, yeah, the underwater camera. Um, the, the kitchen sink dive pack, which never really made sense to me, the, the big dive pack with the engine on the back and the harpoons, which Bond sort of used each gadget once and then dumped it. It was a bit like the motorcycle, use mm-hmm. it and then dump it. Yeah. Um, for me, the, the best gadget was the uh, the one that is actually the, the comp- most completely impractical one is the pocket rebreather, which we see used several times throughout. Um, um, and the story goes basically that the British Royal Navy actually approached uh, Eon Productions and wanted the specs yeah. um, <laughs> for it um, because they thought it was a real thing. And it's right. not actually, it's just a movie prop. But, right. um, but yeah, I think that pocket rebreather um, is provided you've got a convenient pocket is probably one of the best gadgets in this in <laughs> the whole series um, and I think that's borne out by the fact that we see it a couple more times um, over the eon run mm-hmm. so uh, that was again a good it, yeah be, sort of became one of the iconic gadgets so uh, 
I, I think I mainly because of the pocket rebreather I gave him a, a, and the jetpack I gave it seven out of ten for for gadgets. I gave it a seven out of ten as well for the exact same reason. So we are in agreement. Seven on the gadgets, and I do love the jetpack. That's something that. I just feel like at some point in the series, James Bond needed to have done that. I don't know that I love the way he does it in this movie, which is kind of like he he had it hidden there so that he could do what he did and then just like run over and grab it and take off. But um, I mean, the prep to do that, to actually take up that big jetpack up onto that rampart before he then went in to meet yeah. Duval and, and kill him. And then the amount of time it probably took him to not just put the helmet on, but strap it in and start it up. I don't know oh, yeah. those those other the guys chasing him must have been stopped off for a burger on the way. Oh yeah, because, you know the amount of time it would have taken him to do that. And and and, yeah. and how did he? Are you really going to stop and put on a helmet when you're trying to get away from getting killed? I don't know. Um, I guess it was like, look, kids, uh, jetpack safety protocol, right? <laughs> Putting on the helmet, yeah. you know, don't try this at home with your jetpack. But um, it does seem like an impractical way to escape, but. Uh, he had yeah, to assume looked, that he was going to have a good head start on the bad guys, or maybe he didn't think there would be anybody chasing him. I don't know. Whatever. It looked damn cool. It did. It was awesome. I'm just glad he got to use it. All right. The pre-credit sequence in this movie, which is the whole thing we were just talking about, it begins with the funeral of the other JB, and it ends with the Aston Martin shooting the water at the bad guys. Yeah. I mean, this is another... It was interesting having found this out a few months ago and we talked about it on a couple of other ones that um i think it was cubby broccoli one i can't remember if it was broccoli or saltzman but one of the two producers had this idea that he wanted to start every movie with james bond dying in the pre pre-title sequences <laughs> um and when you when you know that you start to see the, the james bond is dead stuff mm-hmm. plays right because this starts off with the framing of the coffin with the initials jb on it mm-hmm. i think they could have kept on that and played that up a little bit longer because mm. it's it's only a couple of seconds before it pans up and you see Sean Connery and she's oh he's got the same initials as you I know um, it did seem like they didn't really try to sell it very hard what was the point of it. doing it if you're not going to sell it yeah um, the fight um, between him and the widow um, mm. is, is great um, oh, yes I mean the fact that he realized it wasn't it was a man because she opened the door herself rather than letting a man oh. open it. and that that's one of the things that didn't age well. It's like, would, would people really pick up on that now, that yeah, etiquette? Right. Um, because what was... Would I, you I punch a lady in the... Would you punch a grieving widow in the face in on the, the face. suspicion based on that? <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was quite a shock. I mean, the first time he does... When he does that, mm-hmm. it's like, oh. Yeah. Um, but, and it's a really brutal fight. And if you think about uh, yes. it, I mean, Bond is really... Uh, Bond, you know, strangles the guy with a poker. I mean, you know. Um, mm. So I, I think that part is really good and then as we said we got the the over the top jetpack escape which really doesn't make any sense but it's damn cool and then we got the db5 um i i think it's another fun mini movie opening it could stand on its own doesn't really other than the fact they reference it in you know reference it in the in the specter meeting it doesn't really play to the main plot much um which is a shame because i think actually if they'd have Picking up on the thing I said earlier, if in the Spectre meeting they'd have said, oh, Duval was killed by British agent Bond, it would have made, I think, more of the first interaction between Largo and Bond that he knew Bond was somebody mm-hmm. that, you know, was Spectre, you know, the, there could have been some more antagonism there or some more undercurrent of trying to get back at Bond or for revenge or something. I'm not quite sure where I'm going with that, but 
I think they could have played with that a bit more. Yeah. Um, so I think it was a good little fun mini movie, but not as good as Goldfinger. So for that reason, I think I gave it an eight. Yeah, I gave it an eight as well. I said this is one of my favorites, another mini movie. The fight is brutal, and the way it was edited. That's one of the things that I like about Thunderball. It, it, I don't know that it ages super well, but I still like it, which is that quick cutting editing where they're like cutting frames out of the action to speed it up. They do it in be, a, so was it a piece of hunt? Probably. They, they, I know he was involved in editing this movie, but they do it in several moments. They do it during the fight at the end on the boat. They do it with the car crash that's on fire, and they do it with the fight uh, with J, the JB versus JB fight. And it really is, I think, a very underrated fight. I think that that battle that he has in that room is really, really a classic, and I think it's... Uh, I, I agree with you. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh, no, it was edited by Ernst Holsler. Well, Peter Hunt Peter was involved Hunt. in the editing. I saw his name in the credits. He, he just wasn't. He was the second unit director. Oh, okay, there one. we go. Okay, there we go. Okay, but obviously they picked that up from um, what Peter Hunt had done previously, I guess. So. Yeah, yeah. But I like that. Yeah. Again, it's, I don't know that you wouldn't do it today in a movie. It would look weird, but I like it in this movie. I'm used to it being yeah. in this movie, and it, I think it's effective in this movie. It does speed things up a bit. It's kind of like hitting the fast forward to kind of move things along when they're going too slow, but it happens right in the middle of the action sequences, so that's yeah. pretty cool. I just wish they'd done that with the underwater sequence. <laughs> <laughs> I could have just skipped a few frames there. So. All right, all right, so pre-credit. What about the credit sequence itself? And I am very of two minds about this. I'm curious what you think. Well, really, this is first Morris, the first Morris Binder, Binder Binder. I'm never quite sure which way you should pronounce it. Right. Uh, first Morris Binder one using the foundations that Robert Brown John had laid in the previous two, which we talked about. Um, I guess this is the first real Bond credit sequence with all the classic hallmarks, because mm-hmm. um, this is where you first get the silhouette figures that we really um, think about when it comes to a Bond um, opening credit sequence. So For sure. Um, and you know the underwater stuff plays with the theme of the of the movie. Um, it works well with the theme song in terms of the cuts and so so forth. So um, yeah, uh, for me this was a, another eight out eight out of ten for this movie. There are Maurice Bender opening credit sequences that to me are just perfect, and there are ones that are horrible. Mm-hmm. And this one is right on the razor's edge and I could go either way. I'm like, cause it's, I think here's the thing. It's early. So it hadn't gotten dumb yet, but it's also so early that it hasn't gotten perfect yet. And so it's, it's right there. And I'm going to give it a seven just because I could have dropped it to a five if it was just a little bit worse, but I could raise it higher if it had been a little bit better. I think it's right in the middle. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, the theme song. Now, oh, this one I'm really curious about too. This is actually one of my co-favorites. When ah. People ask ask me what's my favorite theme song, depending on how I'm feeling, mm. it's either this or Paul McCartney's "Live and Let Die." So, right. Um, right, right, right. both songs I howl along to, sing along to in the car <laughs> or whatever, much to Jill and the kids' disgust. Um, <laughs> love it, love it. I I, I love it. I love. I, you know, I like Tom Jones. Uh, I think he's got an amazing voice, and this is actually yes, one of my all-time favorite ones. So f- for that reason, um, I got a nine out of ten for me. Nine out of ten. It's 
ballsy. You know what I mean? Not there's a lot of the great Bond themes that are sung by women with strong voices, and they are, you know, um, as Tom Sears calls them, belters. You know. Mm-hmm. But this one, though, is ballsy. This one is just like guttural and just visceral. And, I mean, it seems like he ate like a very rare steak and, a, and drank a <laughs> yeah. big bottle of wine. And then he sung this and just like, ah. You know. I, I love the lyrics, too. I mean, the lyrics yes. about Bond and, you know, yeah, it, it really sums up the character. The lyrics sums up the character. Instead of being about the villain, like Goldfinger, yeah. it's about Bond this time. Yeah. Yeah, and and they're funny too because they're like, um, he does all this stuff and it's not admirable, and he doesn't care. I mean, like the lyrics are just so funny because it's like he takes more and gives less, and you know, like deal with it. Basically, it's what yeah. he's saying. You That's know? who he like, is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love that. He's like no apologies. It's just like here he is, and there's no apologies, and you just take it's it. It's probably actually the best description of the James Bond movie. James Bond, the movie character, up to that point, is in the mm. lyrics of this song. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. Um, so nine for me. Overall music score. Um, I actually think this is one of Barry's this weakest. It's a very laid back score. We talked about that laid, laid back vibe earlier. Um, it's not one I listen to a lot. I think it has some great. The actual <laughs> cover art is brilliant. Um, the painting on the the album cover is is awesome, but the actual score. Um, I think he's fairly mediocre. I think it's, like I say, one of Barry's more mediocre ones. I mean, it's still great. Still has that thing where Barry can sort of pr- give music, give us a, a sound to something mm-hmm. that's inanimate. You you know it's underwater just from listening to it. Yes. He gets that sound of water in there. Yep. Um, but, yeah, for me, not one of his better ones, so I gave it a six. I, I agree with what you said about how he, he conveys certain senses of where the story is, what you're seeing and all. And I also like that they incorporate, again, it's one of those movies, they incorporate bits of the theme song into into mm-hmm. it instrumentally and everything, and I do like the water. And I know that all day today I've been whistling it and humming it all around the house, so that gives it an eight for me. Okay. All right. What aged the best and what aged the worst? Okay, uh, what didn't help? So I'll go. What held up well? Yes. To be honest. What is the best? To be honest, nothing stood out for me. I sat here and I I was thinking, what aged the best? What held up the best? And I couldn't think of anything. Okay. Nothing stood out to me. I wow. Was like, that that's it. Yeah. Huh. Well, I put the opening sequence at the funeral has really aged well because it still has a lot of power and action and stuff, and they could do that in a movie today to a certain degree. Yeah, I'll, gi- I'll give you that up, up to the jetpack escape. Yeah, I'll yes. give you that. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, and you probably disagree with this because you've already said about the plot, but I thought the plot of rogue nuclear weapons and, and nuclear uh, blackmail or whatever is a very evergreen plot that is just as effective today as it was in 1965. So even if we like it or we don't like it, it it's one that yeah, still I, works. Yeah, I, I won't disagree with that statement, it, uh, but I think my problem is is with it, it is an evergreen plot, and it is right. so, it's such a well-worn trope these yeah. days. So. Fair yeah. enough, fair enough. All right, what what age the worst? Um, speeding up the film. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly the disco volante scene at the end with the back projection and the speeding up of the, of the film speed. Um, it's really creaky. Um, really, I have soft. that. I have that too. The out the window of the ship while they're yeah. fighting. Just yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean it's effective. The, movement, the, the movements of the ship don't match the stuff. I mean, it would have been on those rocks a million times. Yeah, um, it, it just doesn't work. You know, um, they, they did it a couple of other places in the movie, but where it's really noticeable, um, the speeding up, the uh, increasing the frame speed is, is that Disco Volante final finale. It just I, but I'll say this though, I agree with you, but it still gets me on the edge of my seat. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean. I agree. It, it it hasn't aged well. I think that's partly down to Barry's score at that point. Yeah. Nothing. Despite what I just said about it being more laid back, that's the one area. That one, one. part, yeah. 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 Um, and I, otherwise, what's aged the worst, the masseuse at Shrublands, how he treats her, we talked about that. Yeah. And then, of course, the underwater scenes, I think, are the number one thing because – as we were saying, back in 1965, people wanted 20 minutes of that because it was cool. But now it has more in common with what people think of the sequence in Star Trek, the motion picture, where they look at the Enterprise for 20 minutes while the music plays, you know, so. Nothing wrong with that. I love that sequence. I do. Oh, me too. I said most I'll watch people. That space, I'll watch that space dot sequence over and over again. Over and over. Um, Absolutely. Um, yeah, the thing is, I think that actually does sort of hold up, still hold up well in terms of the the way it was done, what you can see. Um, but yeah, when you actually start looking at the, them choreographing the fight, I think it was pretty well done. But I've heard some recently some fairly horrible stories about how they treated the sharks to make shark stuff work and oh. um, things like that. So it doesn't hold up too well from that point of view. Um, but it still looks cool. I said, particularly, you know, a 4K or 70 mil print on the big screen, um, it looks gorgeous. So. Yeah. I so maybe there were a few things that held up well. I just didn't think think it through. No, I, I that makes sense. I do want to see this now on the big screen. Now that you say <laughs> that, I'm like, man, I wish the theater in Edwardsville would get the, they show a lot of older stuff. I wish they'd get this in. Um, all right, we have what's called the Double Taking Pigeon Most Cringeworthy Moment Award, where we give out the award to the moment in each movie where you just kind of go like a double taking pigeon and go. Ugh. And did you find one? It was more, not so much a uh, but it was like, did I really just see what I thought I saw? And mm. I'd never noticed it before. I don't know why I spotted it this time. But once I saw it, I couldn't not unsee it. There is actually a shot where you can see that there is a duct tape holding the Disco Volante together along the crack between the cocoon and the hydrofoil. Whoa! And it's unraveling. And once I'd seen it, every time I saw the Disco Volante on screen, I could see the line of duct tape. Oh, wow. Um, it's a scene where basically you first see Largo on the boat and he's watching the Vulcan fly overhead and they're all stood on the side of the boat. And just below where they're stood, you can actually see the top of the duct tape is starting to unravel along the joint. And uh, I don't know why this time around was the first time I've ever spotted it. And But from that point on, every time I saw the Disco Volante in the movie, You're looking for the I was tape. like, I, I could see this line of duct tape. <laughs> so wow. That, that was my, what? Did I just see what I thought I just saw? That, so. that qualifies. I was just thinking, we're going to have more of these when we get into, the, into some of the Roger Moore movies. Oh, we yeah, the Roger Moore ones. It. We'll have lots of them. Yeah. Lots, yeah. I'm having a, I've had a hard time finding it, though. I think that maybe for me it might be... Um, honestly, I mean, it's hard to find one that's particularly egregiously bad. I guess the, 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 the yeah, like we were saying, the land outside the window of the boat during yeah, the fight at the end. Yeah, yeah. But even then, I said it, it, it's exciting. It works for me. It just could have been, you know, could have been done better. But yeah. honestly, I think probably the worst effects in the early 
not including the dragon tank and Dr. No, of course, that we've talked about plenty, the, uh, and, the, and the Ian Fleming Foundation needs a dragon tank. Um, other than that, I think that the thing that's aged the worst in all of the, all of the Sean Connery movies, uh, other than how he treats women, is the, the rear projection outside yeah. of a vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Which was pr- pretty common practice. The amount of movies that you watch from that era and earlier, um, sure, it was a very, very common practice. So, do you want to know how you, we, we we ended up? Okay, so what's well, we haven't what, done our overall rating on a scale of one to ten. Ten, yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you. So, well, we have the best Bond moment. Do you have a best? Oh, Bond yeah, moment? we do, don't we? The best Bond moment. Um, I did, yeah. It's For me, last... the best Bond moment was was getting the goons at Palmyra to shoot at each other <laughs> with just two shots. Ah. He shot one shot in one direction, one shot 180 degrees in the other direction, and he got all the goons firing at each other while he snuck off and did his sneaky bond stuff. And I thought that was awesome. That is. I, you know, there's so many, and for me it's a tie. When he hands Fiona the shoes, mm-hmm. that to me is an all-time classic Bond move. That's that's worthy of Roger Moore. Roger Moore would have done that too. Although I don't know that Roger yeah. Moore was quite as cheeky in a way about things like that you know but he was more of a charmer than kind of a smart right. like, like like this bond but it made me think of it the other one though is when when bond sneaks around i guess it's count lippy's room at shrublands and mm-hmm. the guy in the the guy in the mask is watching him you know the guy in the bandages yeah. is watching him when he when he goes out the door and then stops and comes back in, and you're like, oh, what's he going to do? And he just gets a grape. Yeah. And it's funny, because I thought, here we got sneaky bond, we've got suspense and danger, and humor all in about five seconds. He just combines a whole lot of things. It's a, it's just a nothing little throwaway moment, but it, I, I love that the Sean Connery bond would risk exposure and capture to go back and grab a grape. Yeah. I just thought that summed him up really well. So, yeah, that's a nice. It is a nice character moment. You're right. It so. is. All right. On a scale of one to ten, how do you rate this film? So, like I said beforehand, uh, this was this was my sort of middle of the road movie. So I'd given it a five. Um, it's my subjective score. Wow. Wow. But wow. but having gone through all the rankings, they mm. came out as a mathematically, I came out at a seven. Oh, good. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Can you tell me what mine came out since you have the uh, the spreadsheet there, Oguru? Yes, your mathematical average, uh, your mathematical score came out at seven point five eight. Seven point five eight. I would have thought a little higher than that. I must have had a couple of lower than sevens that that kind of dragged it down a little bit. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's probably your henchman score, which was a four. Yeah, and I had a seven or two in there too. But yeah. 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 But in terms of just how much I enjoy this movie and how and where I rank it in terms of one to ten, this one gets a nine. Okay. Because it's a my it's a top ten. I mean, it's a top for me. It is a top five Bond. Um, obviously, you only live twice is my favorite, and you've also got to include uh, Golden Eye, Casino Royale, Moonraker, and this one. That's my top five. Right. Okay. Cool. In no particular order. I'd have to really sit down and think about how two through five rank. But this is, you know, there's some days this is number two. There's some days this is number five. But it's in my top five for sure. Okay, very cool. Yep. So, so I was saying that made me rethink this. So I actually did a look. So on my sort of subjective scoring, I would I have Thunderball as my lowest 
score one like I say it was for me it's traditionally mm-hmm. being my bottom Connery but actually on the math score it puts it as my number two Connery <laughs> from behind from Russia with love so the, uh, well. the numbers don't lie Alan <laughs> you got so it's, to it's, it's it's moved it up up my up the rankings so there we uh, go you the numbers don't lie and you gotta you gotta accept reality that it is a better movie than you thought it was, and I like that. I like that a lot. I'm looking forward when we finish this run through of seeing how we rank them all from top to bottom, and I'm I'm curious to see if our final list is going to look substantially different from our list we would just make up sitting there. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested to see how it goes with one with the one. The app that everybody uses, the the ranking app. And right. From last time we did that to see how this works in yes. comparison. Yes. That'll yeah. be fun. That's good. Yeah. Well, I think we're to the end. Any final thoughts or anything we haven't covered? No, I can say for me that I was just actually surprised. I I think what this showed to me was that the individual comp- I enjoyed the individual components of this movie more mm. than I enjoyed the overall experience of the movie. Does that make sense? Yes. No. Absolutely. Yeah, and that and that yeah. would explain why that would when we break it down into components, it would come out higher than when we just look at the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, and I'd have to think about that too because I think there there are a lot of parts of this movie that I love that are just there are parts of this movie that are my favorite Bond movie, and there are parts that I'm like, oh, why is that in it? And but that's true of a lot of the Bond movies, and um, and you know, again, if if I can make a fan edit of this movie and take out some of the underwater stuff, there's there's certainly characters and things i'd take out of some of the others too so but that's just how it is everybody has their preferences and and so forth so no i'm i i I dearly love this movie it's it's only grown on me in favor over the years and and um and i really really like it it's it's my favorite one we've done so far but next time yeah so another movie next time we go to japan yeah and we meet tiger and aki and uh, a volcano base and Blofeld and man we get a lot of fun stuff going on in the next one even though I the movie you, makes no sense at all say I know you have a particular liking for the next one so I sure uh, we'll see, how that, see how that goes alright well all right. I, I reckon that the uh, the bond ranking the bonds will get out of here for another episode but Alan and I will return to do You Only Live Twice thanks a bunch Alan have a good night thank you cheers man This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.